Teaching is our passion. We at the Wall Street Skinny are proud to announce that we've joined the advisory board for the iConnections Funds for Teachers initiative, focused on supporting the Ron Clark Academy and its pioneering teaching methods. Through Funds for Teachers, iConnections is dedicated to empowering educators nationwide by providing access to RCA's professional development opportunities. Events are being organized in major cities throughout the year to fundraise and support this incredibly important cause. All proceeds from these events will be directly donated to the Ron Clark Academy, specifically to financially aid teachers so they can participate in RCA's groundbreaking training programs. Please click on the link in our show notes to register for an event in the city nearest you. This is The Wall Street Skinny, a podcast devoted to exploring the financial services industry and making the world of Wall Street accessible to everyone. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wall Street Skinny. Uh, this is Kristen here, and I got Jen with me. Hey guys, um, full disclosure: this is our second attempt at recording this podcast. We had a beautiful podcast for you, complete with video recording. However, due to technical difficulties beyond our control, uh, that podcast is in the garbage, and so <laughs> there will it's not be a video episode. It's in the internet until, somewhere. It, yeah, yeah, it's lost in the ether. It is still in processing. Twenty-four hours later. So the fun part for us. Us as we get a second shot at talking to you guys about one of our favorite shows ever, which mm-hmm. is Succession. Um, but before we yes. get to Succession, I, what are you watching these days that's like filling the hole in your life now that Vanderpump Rules and Succession are all over? Because I feel like that's all we talked <laughs> well, about for the first I 10 mean, episodes. Jen, I'm re-watching Succession. Yeah, <laughs> but like... We have to do this. <laughs> I like in okay, my spare time. I've been rewatching Succession. By the way, if you haven't done that, if you finish the series and then you are sad, go back and watch season one because you probably forgot everything that happened. I forgot everything. I literally yeah. was watching it like it was new, except for it was even better because I understood the characters and I was like, oh, look. Tom is actually surprised that Shiv is letting him go cheat on him because I thought they had like an open relationship. It's just, and he's like, different. it's so like seeing the characters where they started and then like where they went. But no, Daisy Jones and the Six is up on my list of the next thing I want to watch, but I have not watched yet. Well, I was going to say one of the things I really appreciate about Succession is you can tell that the writers at least kind of knew where they were going with it when they started. Mm. So many of my favorite shows were like, this is a great idea. And then when it catches on, they're like, what are we we doing now? Like, I love Lost. And they were like, oh, we got to move the island. Like, where do we go with this? Yes. Did you ever watch Manifest? No. I No. No, we don't do. We don't do plane crashes. Okay. can help it. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I started watching Lost. I plugged into Lost literally during the best episode of television that has ever aired, The Constant. (laughs) And I was like, well, this show's amazing. Not knowing that that's like arguably the all-time best episode of television ever. No. Okay. If you guys are listening, Google The Constant, that episode of Lost, and watch it. If you are not tearful by the end you are doing it wrong it is one of the best episodes of where TV is it in the fit. spectrum of the show i feel like it's probably around season three maybe out of like, 10 like five no 12? i think they probably had like five or six seasons okay um like right around the middle and it's with desmond and penny 
and it's okay. so good. Desmond's like the one character that they didn't even wrap up in the end of Lost. They like left him hanging, which is also tragic. But anyways, I need it's to Google so good. the characters. I did watch the first couple of seasons, but all I remember is like there was some smoke in the forest and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with all those shows, <laughs> they had a great idea and they had no idea how to wrap it up because they never thought yeah. they'd get to that point. With Succession, right. it's built into the premise of the show, although yeah. it's built in with Game of Thrones. We're still waiting on you, George R. R. Martin. But at least there was a natural ending point to the show and I feel like they had yep. that plan from the beginning. So that's yep. why it's all the more amazing what they did with a lot of the characters. Yeah. And we're not going to get into my like English major thesis on <laughs> Succession because... I can't do it as well as some of the writers who have been tackling the show in the New York Times. And, you know, I know Kara yeah. Swisher's done a great job. But what we're going to do yeah. today instead is actually just talk about the company Waystar Royco and walk through all of the corporate finance drama that happens mm-hmm. with that company so we can explain some concepts that we know you're all yeah. curious about. Yeah. Understand those concepts. The show is yeah. so much more exciting because it is. You know how the corporate yeah. finance aspect works you're like oh my god this is insane that that they'd be yes. doing that right yes. the first time I watched it yeah. they're like oh yeah we gotta get a four billion dollar injection from a private equity company I was like guess that happens all the time no it doesn't right, right, right. like this is right. a huge no, it deal and, and by the, a yes. critical yep. plot driver yep. so now you need to yes. understand why and for the yes. record so we did a poll on our Instagram the question was are you watching succession I'm just looking at what the numbers were so 30 so called 40 percent said yes exclamation mark there was 20 <laughs> like exclamation mark was the only option you gave them not like I yes. know no <laughs> but uh <laughs> I am partway through it was 20 percent I'm planning to is 30 percent and no plans to is 11 percent so here's the thing if you are never planning to watch it that is fine you don't have to because the reason we're doing this is that there is so much corporate finance in the show that if we were just to like sit down and be like, well, let's talk about dual class shares. I mean, it's boring. <laughs> and also like, why do you care? But if we sit there, we're like, well, in this merger between Waystar Royco and like, like blah, blah, blah. It becomes so much more fun. So using the show gives us an excuse to talk about stuff in a much more fun way and take stuff that is so dry and actually have characters and players. And it also, I think, just makes the concepts a lot more tangible. So That's exactly if you right. No and we can only use Amazon watch, for so many examples because like Amazon's yeah. never been through a hostile LBO. Like, <laughs> right, 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 right. Most companies have it. That's like not right. Normal. Exactly. But yeah, no, but there's so much. It's like, okay, we get into hostile deals. Okay, we can get into financing. Okay, we can get into private equity firms. Okay, like there is so much and it's so cool. And yeah. If I'm there's like anyone doing psyched. a medical podcast out there, you should do this with Grey's Anatomy, yes. right? Like, again, yeah. if you're teaching people how to do a Whipple, might not be that exciting. People will be like, remember when Mandy Moore died from the Whipple? Like, what is that? <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah. You just make a it up? Is, no, a Whipple is a procedure. I actually don't know. Oh. I think Mandy Moore died from a fistula. But like, that's the whole thing. We talk is this, about. This is, wait, Mandy Moore was in Grey's Anatomy? Yeah, she had like a two episode arc. Oh, and then they killed. She went all. through like they killed, they killed everyone. Like everybody, yeah. yeah, there's no. Yeah. Level. I mean, even I stopped watching Grey's Anatomy after season. I don't know, seventeen. Mm. I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. There's no one's recognizable. Even if they're from the original cast, they are no longer recognizable to me. Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't emotionally invested anymore. That brings up a good point because something that happens when you are watching, whether it's a law show, whether it's a medical show, is there's stuff that happens and like things get dramatized and you never know, is this real? Is this not real? I mean, like how much creative license are they taking? Yeah. So for example, like Boston Legal was like with William Shatner and James Spader and 
they would dramatize stuff, but it was just not very thoughtful. It would be mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy stole this old lady's wallet, but he thought that she stole it from her, but it was a bright orange wallet that this lady, it was like, what? And they like figure that out in the last second versus like, hey, there's this crazy legal theory, which is a little more smart. And so the point of what I'm, tra- what I'm trying to get to <laughs> is succession. I remember when I was watching, I was like this, some of this stuff seems far fetched. I don't think that that makes sense. But then as you start to dig into it, you're like this actually was really well thought out. They well, did their homework. They did their they homework. They hired stuff knowledgeable consultants. Yeah. Except for, they- I will say this, and I said this, I think on our like very first Instagram post, I don't know why I was so salty right out of the gates. <laughs> But on succession, when they're talking about units of measurements, for millions, they say mill, and for billions, they say bill. I remember that. Never in the past 20 years have I heard someone on Wall Street say mill or bill as short code for millions and billions. It's yards for billions, and for millions, it's sticks or bucks. Like, never have I ever heard that. So I'm curious to know, please send us an email if you have heard people using these terms and, like, People, like real people don't be like one of the summer analysts said mill therefore it must be right, right. like it's like now now it's gonna be a not thing. that summer analysts are nrps not that they're right, not right. real people like they say on the show <laughs> but i was gonna say maybe now it's gonna start because of the show like i guess start. so but that was the only thing it was so grating to me when i first started watching the show i was like did they even know what they were doing and it mm-hmm. might have just been that somebody be the roy family oh they invent their own language mm-hmm. i don't know maybe The point is this show was very smart. If they're throwing something out there, there is a reason for it. And um, and we're going to get into that. And even the stuff that they do, in fact, so many of the transaction types or the intricacies of transactions that they are talking about are unusual. And that's the point. point. If you don't understand the mechanics of how private equity firms work, how venture capital firms work, how an LBO works, if you don't understand the basic mechanics, then it's probably lost on you why it is such a big deal that this crazy thing is happening with Waystar Royco, and that's what we're here to explain. Yeah. All right, so let's dive into it. Okay. Over the course of the first season, I think that's what we'll be able to cover in the time that we have today, we are going to follow the arc of basically starting with Logan Roy, who is the CEO of a company called Waystar Royco, which is basically a proxy for Fox News. Yep. And his children, he has four children... (laughs) One from his first marriage and three from his second marriage. And the one mm-hmm. from his first marriage is named Connor and it's Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And the they first call pancake. Him, yeah, they call him the first <laughs> pancake, which I think is incredibly darkly funny. And if you haven't watched the show, that gives you a sense of the type of awful, dark, irreverent humor that they have. Yep. And so when I first started watching the show, I was actually kind of rolling my eyes because you guys all know that Tolstoy quote, like all happy families are the same. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. I was like, oh, more of the same just miserable rich people fighting each other what new could I possibly learn from this show but it is incredibly darkly funny Mm -hmm. and the writing is very very smart right it is just for the record Jen was an English major so like (laughs) even though I'll try not to talk about Tolstoy too much on this podcast I promise (laughs) and so Logan the CEO of this company is aging And Mm -hmm. it has come into question who will succeed him as the new CEO of this company. Basically think of it like Game of Thrones for an American corporation. The characters all make terrible decisions and it's just like Game of Thrones in that no one wins. There is no winning in succession. And we're going to follow the arc of where we're starting out from Logan being prepared to name his 
eldest son from his (laughs) second marriage. (laughs) Exactly. Kendall, he's prepared to name him as his successor at the beginning of the first episode. And and again, we're going to have plenty of spoilers in here. We've given you guys all the time in the world to watch this show. If you don't want to listen, you can stop now. But like, again, we're only going to be really talking about the plot points that drive the finance. So if you haven't seen in the news already, it's too late. Um, <laughs> by the end of the season, Kendall has now attempted to betray his father yes. and launching kind of an ongoing battle between the siblings for who will be his ultimate successor. So we'll start from the beginning. Yes. And in the first episode, it's Logan's birthday. Hmm. He is He's turning pre- 80. It's a big, turning. big day. Logan is preparing to announce that Kendall will be his successor. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Kendall is in the process of launching an acquisition bid for yep. a company called Valter. And Valter is supposed to be like a BuzzFeed type company. And so, oh yeah, I know. Well, I I still do like the quizzes on BuzzFeed. (laughs) (laughs) They still come up or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't go to the BuzzFeed news website. Um, So like BuzzFeed in its original form before it had the news element is still alive and kicking being like, based on your favorite shows or what kind of sandwich (laughs) you eat, we'll tell you what color your aura is. Right. So... Let's talk a little bit about this acquisition bid yeah. for Valter. It's basically like a content startup, right? Mm-hmm. And it has really strong brand. It has like a very youthful, progressive agenda. And you've got Waystar Royco, which is supposed to be like the Fox News. So you guys can see that this might not necessarily be going too well. Right. And Kendall is the one in charge of convincing Valter that they should allow Waystar Royco to buy them. Kendall is trying to convince the CEO who's being very rude to him to sell the company. Kristen, can you kind of walk us through the mechanics of what's happening? Yeah. So when you're talking about doing an acquisition, I'm assuming this is this is a public company because they're offering a certain price per share. Mm-hmm. So there's where the share price is trading in the market. And then usually you're going to have some kind of premium above it. So they are offering, call it $120 per share. Most premiums are in like the 20, maybe 40% range. So their share price was probably trading around $100 a share. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they make this offer and the CEO of Vulture basically is like, F off. We don't want to sell it to you guys. So Kendall ups the offer price for every single share to $140. And he says, look, in cash or stock, essentially making the deal so good that the CEO, the guy who's being a dick to Kendall, has no choice but to accept it. And he says, look, I'm essentially going to fuck you for being such a jackass to me. Mm -hmm. And as payback, he also incorporates into that a non-disclosure agreement, like no voting shares and non-compete. So basically, he's like, I'm going to put you in this golden cage. And he's neutering the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Part of this that's interesting that we spoke a little bit to this last week because Kendall's trying to work on this merger. He's trying to get it to go through. It's like a big deal to the company, but it is Logan's 80th birthday. And Logan says to Kendall, and who, by the way, is supposed to be named as his successor, expects the announcement to come like imminently. And, and he thinks that buying this company is going to be the feather in his cap yeah, as yeah. like now the newly announced yeah. heir. Yeah. And so he's w- trying to get this merger to go through. Logan says, well, you can come to my birthday party, but like use your judgment. And Kendall goes to the birthday party. And then because of that, Logan is just like, F this. Nope, I'm back in. And that launches some of the drama with the succession. Except all of a sudden, Logan has a stroke. He's totally incapacitated. And Kendall 
is able to take the role of interim CEO while his yes. dad is incapacitated. Yeah. We spend the second episode getting to know the characters a little bit better. Actually, it's funny, right? Because <laughs> it's like the most boring episode. It's the most boring episode, the but they were show. it's like a bottle episode where they were trying to show the audience who these characters are and all of their kind of like twisted mind games. And it's funny because actually you can tell right between episode one, the pilot, and by the time they probably filmed episode two, they made all kinds of different creative decisions. So like Roman, the (laughs) youngest son, I think had like a wife and kids in the first episode and they're like magically gone. And he's like a a deviant by the time the second episode rolls around. But you see them trying to rest for control with each other. And while Logan is incapacitated, the company is trying to keep this news quiet from the markets because they right. don't want the markets to react negatively to the man who's been at the helm of this corporation all of a sudden being like, is he dead? Is he right. going to be able to make decisions? Mm-hmm. What's happening? So Kendall steps up as interim CEO. The markets get wind of this. The company's share price starts Lummets. to go down. Yeah. And the general counsel of the firm, this woman, Jerry, pulls the interim CEO, Kendall, aside and says, hey, so... um." Funny little thing that you now need to know now yep. that you're acting as CEO. We have this loan mm-hmm. that your dad put in place. It's at the family holding company level to the tune of three and a half billion dollars. Which, that- by the way, here's the thing. It's a public company. Public companies have to disclose everything. So, like, theoretically, this secret debt should have been disclosed. This is so there also, was some like, sketchy extremely debt. sketchy and sketch. questionable. This is yeah. sketch, yeah. So I remember when I first saw this, I was like, well, this is so unrealistic. They wouldn't yeah. just have debt that no one knows about at, like, the senior executive committee level. But the way she explains it away is that this debt was something that Logan put at the family holding company and that's why it wasn't reported as part of the and we can get into the difference between like holding companies and operating companies but the bottom line is is she's like surprise yeah not only is there three and a half billion dollars worth of debt outstanding but that debt was structured in the form of a puttable bond and the strike meaning the price on the stock that triggers this put option is 130 and Waystar Royco's stock is plummeting and it's about to break through that strike price. So yeah. I feel like we should talk about what all this means because this is actually the key event. It's not just Logan having a stroke. Finding out about this debt is the key event that sets in motion all the further plot points right. of the show. Right, actually, yeah, this is a huge, And yeah. most people have mm-hmm. no idea. They were just like, oh, okay, yeah. what? There's I had no idea. Debt? Yeah. yeah, I remember watching it and I was like, what? Like this yeah. is, I mean, Bond's ex machina. Like this makes no sense. <laughs> well, and I remember kind of tuning out, but this is actually well, the most important I, point. Yeah. And you and I were talking about that too, because I was like, in general, if debt is coming due, like you refinance it. You well, it usually, wasn't coming due. It or was sorry, that, if it was getting put back. Either way, like there's a price for everything. They should be able to right, go out to the market right. and borrow debt at some other price. Yeah. But this seems like it was some really kind of sketchy deal that nobody really was supposed to know about. So anyway. Jerry says, again, we have this debt outstanding. It's a potable bond. I'd love for us to be able to explain that. Can you start yeah. talking about, Kristen, how covenants are worked yeah, yeah, yeah. into debt issuance from the beginning? And then we'll talk yeah. about the actual mechanics of an option in a bond. Yeah. When lender lends money to a business, the whole thing with loans is that you are giving someone money, you are getting paid interest on it, but then you want to get that money back, right? That is the whole idea with a loan, which is different from equity. Now, because these 
lenders want to get their money back, they want to make sure that they know if there is something going wrong with the business. So they put in place these things called covenants. So covenants are these early warning signals. And there's broadly speaking, kind of like two types of covenants. You can have what's called maintenance covenants and incurrence covenants. So a maintenance covenant is more restrictive. They basically require that a company maintains a certain I guess in this place, like stock, stock price, price, right? Yeah. You have to maintain a certain amount of leverage, whatever. Um, incurrence covenants are usually a little more lenient. And so it's just saying, hey, we're trying to limit your cash outflows. You can't go buy another business. You can't go spend this amount of money on something else. But here, it sounds like they're probably, you know, violating some kind of maintenance covenants. And like, potentially that's what's triggering this option, I guess, for putting the bond back or putting the I've never heard back. that term incurrence covenants. I mean, it's funny because like, right, when you're going to buy a house, your lender's always like, just the week before you buy a house, don't buy a boat. Don't take out a ton of Don't credit cards. Don't take out debt. credit cards. Because actually, right. we were going to do that. You and I, I wanted to take out new credit cards. Yeah. Um, we were like, nope, 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 And nope. yeah, my, my, our lender was like, yeah, no, don't do that. That's right. <laughs> That's a bad but idea. But like, it's very rare that after you have closed on the loan to finance your house, the lender comes back to you and says like, hey, what are you up to these days? Right. <laughs> they kind of just forget about you. It's very different in those big corporate lending relationships where they want to know about your financial health on an ongoing basis. And yep. so that's how those covenants are very different from how smaller consumer loans or residential real estate mortgages are structured. Right. And so the way that this particular loan seems to have been structured is the lender said, hey, okay, listen, in order to give us a show of your financial health and stability, we need you to maintain a stock price above 130 a share. Mm -hmm. If the stock price drops below 130 a share, we have a put option on the bond. And so what is a put option? Well, there's two primary types of options and they go by different names in all different asset classes, but we typically talk about call options and put options. A call option is the right to buy something and a put option is the right to sell something. And so when you learn like basic options theory, you almost always start with equities because they're linear and they're a little more easy to understand. So if I have a call option, I have the right but not the obligation mm -hmm. to buy, say, Amazon stock. And let's say I have a strike price, the referenced price on that underlying stock of 100. Well, if Amazon's trading at 120 a share, my option is what we call in the money. I would exercise that option to buy Amazon at 100 when everyone else is buying it at 120. And then I'm going to turn mm -hmm. around and sell it at 120 and make that profit, yeah. right? Bonds. I want to say one yeah. other just fun thing. So if you are interested in going into investment banking, you're going to do a lot with options too, because they actually are a way that companies will issue stock-based compensation, like incentivize employees. So when you're calculating, what is the value of all of the equity? You actually do need to take options into account. Right. So anyway, I just like to make that point because if you're like, oh, I don't really care about the sales and trading no. stuff. Like, what do I Everyone care? needs no, to know yeah, about yeah. options. Everyone needs you need to know, to know about options theory. I don't care what you are doing in the financial services industry. And you don't need to know like the calculus of options theory. You no. just need to understand the levers that move and what yeah. drives value up and down. So- in bonds, we can have callable and puttable bonds as well. And a callable bond is a bond that has the option embedded in it for the borrower to preemptively pay that loan back, to buy back their own debt effectively. So if you think about it in your everyday life, a mortgage is a callable loan. Jen just put up a lovely little video on this, but I yes. Did, yeah. yeah. So when you are borrowing money to buy a house, you have the option to prepay, typically with no penalty, 
all of that loan in advance of, let's say, its 30-year maturity. That is functioning like a callable bond. And so if you were to go buy a house today and your interest rate's like that's 7%, well, if in the next couple of years, the Fed drops rates again, so now they're at 2%, you're like, why am I paying 7%? I'm going to go get this 2% mortgage. That sounds much nicer. So you pay back your 7% mortgage, and now you go and you take out the 2% one. So that's what we mean by like you have this option to refinance whenever you want. Like, you could also yay. sell your house. That when too? you sell your house, yeah, you pay too. back your whole loan. Exactly. Um, God willing, unless <laughs> you're doing a short sale. But so, listen, that's an example of a callable bond. A puttable bond is one where the lender has the option to say to the borrower, hey, guess what? That money we lent you, we said you could have it for 30 years. We want it all back today. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about in this case. The borrower is short an option, meaning embedded in the price of that bond, probably embedded in the interest rate, is the value that the borrower has given to the lender to say, hey, guess what? You've hit these triggers. Now I want all my money back. So the reason Logan probably did this was in the context of the episode, they were saying like Logan was in a pinch. He really needed this money as a borrower and just in general in life. You don't (laughs) want to be writing options. You do not want to be selling optionality. And we call it writing options when you sell options. So Nobody likes to be short optionality. So Logan was willing to sell this option that could one day come back to bite him in the butt because in exchange for that option, he probably got below market yeah. rates on his yep. financing. What they'll do is they'll they'll take the price of that option yep. and, and they'll put it, yeah. They'll spread it out over the life of the loan in the form of a lower interest rate that he has. And that's by the way, that is like a fundamental of convertible debt. Is of, you of, have of the option of any yeah. debt with optionality. But again, for the convertible debt, instead of paying like 5%, you're paying like 1%, maybe mm-hmm. half a percent. The, the value of those options can be worth a lot. Absolutely. So we wanted to make sure you guys understood that because now what has happened is because Logan is sick and mm-hmm. the future of the company is in question, the stock price drops below $130 a share. Kendall calls up these lenders and he's like, hey guys, what's up? (laughs) Like trying to big time them. And they refuse to deal with him. They refuse to renegotiate the terms of these bonds. So Jerry, who's the GC for the firm, goes to Kendall and she's like, we got to do something. We can't go to the markets and tell them that we are in this pickle because secret debt that nobody was secret. Right? People have been trading our stock price basically based on incorrect information. We can't go raise equity because we need the share price in the toilet. Exactly. Exactly. So what are we going to do? And by the way, why are you raising equity with your share price in the toilet? It it triggers some questions. So you know, he tells everyone to go find him a million lifeboats. Everyone's thinking about all these different little pieces of the business they can either downsize in or sell or reduce headcount in. But ultimately what he does is he goes to his little best friend. He mm-hmm. goes to this guy, Stewie, who is awesome, Stewie. by the way. I love, I, first of all, I love the name Stuart. I love that. I just love that actor. Didn't you um, have that, by the way, as one of your top choices for a child? Or am I making no, this up? No. no. Oh, okay. um, but I, I was so. madly in love with Stuart Lieber yes. at Weston Elementary School when we were in third grade. Um, so Stuart, if you're listening, I no longer hold a torch for you, but that's that was part of why I love the name so Stewie. Funny. I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast. Um <laughs> So Kendall goes to his friend Stewie, who works at a private equity firm, and he says, hey, do you guys want to make an investment in a blue chip company like Waystar Royco to the tune of $4 billion? And so 
let's talk about this because we haven't spoken a ton about private equity, except in the context of the financial sponsors group at an investment bank. And so many of our listeners are really interested in the private equity field. So let's talk about this. So Kristen, A, can you explain just a 10,000 foot view of what a private equity firm is? And then let's talk about why on earth would they even consider doing something like this? There is like so much that goes into this question. Okay, so a traditional private equity firm is basically a firm that goes out and they raise funds with multiple limited partners. Like, what does that mean? They get money from people. They get money from people, exactly. So those limited partners could be endowments, right? Like your college, they have the Princeton endowment or pension funds or Mm -hmm. high net worth individuals, sovereign wealth funds. If you saw the merger between Live Golf and the PGA recently. So these are the types of those limited partners. These are going to be investors who are giving money to the private equity fund and they have money now that they want to invest. And to be clear, they are investing mm -hmm. in companies. They're investing in companies. Yes. Now there's Broadly speaking, I would say like two different types of strategies. You will usually have either a strategy where you have like the classic leverage buyout type, which is Mm -hmm. you buy a company. These are usually going to be more mature. So companies that are at steady state, they've almost like let themselves go. There's like bloat with the C-suite. There's synergies, right? There's things that can be cleaned up. So that is your more classic strategy, the strategy that, especially on our social media, I've been highlighting more. And you expect to put the money in, hold it for a certain period of time, and then sell and get that turn because you're like levering the company up, you're making some improvements. There's also a growth strategy, but at the end of the day, they're trying to change the business. They're Mm -hmm. trying to improve the business. So on the growth side, they're helping to scale up these small companies. And like you were selling t-shirts. Now you're selling all kinds of clothing and sneakers. Exactly. This is a growth investment. Mm -hmm. And so the situation with Waystar Royco kind of doesn't fall into either of those two categories. Now, with that said, we actually find out later why this is happening because Mm -hmm. there was a motivation here beyond the financial one. So that's why it it actually does make sense. It would be very unusual. What we're saying is it would be very unusual for a private equity company under normal circumstances to do something like this. And and it's a $4 billion investment. And so just to put this in context of the overall size, a very large private equity fund, call it like your Blackstone, your KKR, around 2015, I think the maximum fund size was maybe like $10 billion. Now I've seen there's there's some fund in Italy, I think, that was like a $50 billion fund, maybe $25 billion. You could have these larger funds, but I mean, that's like the biggest of the biggest of the biggest of the funds. And so putting $4 billion into one investment and an investment like this just seems really odd. So um, in the meantime, while Kendall has secured this funding, his dad has recovered from his stroke. He is back in the CEO seat and he is now making a big push to buy like local news mm-hmm. and... Kendall thinks this is crazy and he wants to get his power back that he had while his dad was incapacitated. So he gets a team together and tries to stage a vote of no confidence. And because now he's got Stewie in place on the board, basically, he thinks he has enough leadership votes to get his dad out. He tries to make this big move, but Logan bullies him out of it and he strong arms everyone into voting for him and now Kendall is out of the company so what does Kendall do he goes and licks his wounds he starts his own venture capital firm and so it's funny this is like a throwaway but I actually think it's a great thing for us to talk about because a lot of people hear PE and VC and it's like 
What's the what difference is between private yeah. equity and venture capital? Why is everyone yeah. thinking this is so sexy? What What are these firms? Yeah. And so what Kendall's yeah. doing is he's making a pitch to like a local artist collective that's trying to like mm-hmm. democratize access to fine art, which actually one of my high school friends, Z Chun, did and is amazing. It's called Uprise Art. Um, I think that Ellen DeGeneres' wife, Portia de Rossi, she started something like that as well here cool. in New York. I only know it because our designer at Restoration Hardware was like, oh, well, if you're looking for some art. Yeah. <laughs> what a big time comment. My designer at Restoration Hardware was like, you should go buy from Portia de Rossi's well, no. Artist Collective. No, no, no. It wasn't like a very expensive art piece. And in fairness, Restoration Hardware gave us an amazing designer because like they do it for free if you buy your stuff from them. Right. Which is nice. So let's talk a little bit about what venture capital is. Okay. So I think it's helpful to envision a timeline. If you start at one side, right, I'm going to start on the left here. That is our brand new startup, our baby company. And then we go all the way to the right. That's where we have the mature company, like your maybe getting ready for dinosaurs. No, no, I would actually have them. They've already IPO'd. Oh, we've IPO'd. Oh, we're out. We're We're on the other side. We're a dinosaur. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on the very left-hand side, so we have a startup. This is where you have venture capital firms investing, right? You would have like Mm -hmm. angel investors, like seed capital, whatever. They're giving money. All um, those people who are like, me money on Kickstarter so I can sell yeah. my sweatshirts or whatever. Like that's what we're talking about. Those level yeah. of companies. Right, right, right. Or I don't know if you saw, I sent you something recently, Jen, yesterday. It was like a four week old business got a hundred million dollar investment for some AI type. Was product. it the Wall Street skinny? If anyone out there. Yeah, no, right. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Jen is like the most anti-AI. I am so, ever. we're going to do an entire episode on AI. And I actually think it's a really salient topic because I think so many of our listeners who are thinking about going into this business, I mean, a, maybe you were someone who was thinking about going into tech and you're like, uh, that headcount's not going to exist because I've been replaced by a robot. And B, if you're thinking about going into the financial services industry, you're probably worried about getting replaced yeah. by a robot too. But actually, we're here to tell you that you are uh, you are invaluable if you use your brain the right way. <laughs> and listen, an AI can't make succession, okay? My husband's cousin and her boyfriend, she's starting her residency at Duke. They just bought a house in Durham and they were here for dinner on Sunday night. And he is a robotics guy. And while we were all sitting down, I was like ranting against AI. And he asked ChatGPT to write a poem. I was like, I was like, AI can't do poetry. And he had AI write a poem like while we were sitting there. And it was, first of all, terrible. Secondly, it was like very pro AI. It was like why we should let robots take us over. And it was actually incredibly terrifying. And I was like, we need to publish this because the machines are out to get us. But anyways, sorry. So enough about AI and robots. A venture capital firm is a a group of investors who is giving money to new startups in exchange for what? Yeah. Oh, ownership. In exchange for equity ownership. ownership. And by the way, reminder, what is equity? It means that you now own some of the business, you have some of the voting, you are getting some percentage of the profits into perpetuity, right? That is what you were giving away. Whereas if you were to lend debt, someone's giving you money, you have to pay them interest, and then you're gonna pay it back. But as a angel like investor or a VC, the reason that debt is not that great for you is you are betting that this company is doing well and you want to have that upside because the downside is this company goes nowhere and you just don't get your money back, but you don't have the upside. So you want to have that upside. So that is why usually massive upside. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Shark tank style kind of like, yeah. 
Now, as you go kind of down the spectrum, so now you have a company more mature, they're operating the business, maybe they've operated like 10 years and they want to go to the next level. So this is where you get the private equity, like growth investors who come in. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to help grow the business. At this stage, kind of as you go down the the timeline, maybe now they want to take their self public. So now they are in the public market. Now they're a public company traded, la-di-da-di-da. And this is where you might have mutual funds say, hey, this looks like, you know, I'm going to invest in this company, right? You have like ETFs. Now the company's like added to an exchange. Exchange traded funds. Yeah. So now you have these like mutual funds, your vanguards, your whoever. And then as you get more mature, this is where that private equity LBO strategy comes in, where you have mm-hmm. the, the private equity firms buy the business, primarily funded with debt. They improve the business because maybe like things have gotten a little bit lax and they're not really focused on growth and blah, blah, blah. And so they own the business. Then they usually, well, they'll sell it or take the company public again. That's kind of like your life cycle of, <laughs> of No, that, that's so, beautiful. Got it. Venture so- capital is the very early stage. And PE is down the road and is down the road. Or it could be the growth equity, but yeah. The classic one that people kind of think about is Dinosaur Land. (laughs) So we've got Kendall attempting to start his own venture capital. He is getting brutally rebuffed by the women at this artist collective. And he's licking his wounds at his future brother-in-law's bachelor party. He sees Stewie there and Stewie says, hey, I can make you feel a lot better. How about I give you $500 million more dollars mm-hmm. in exchange for your ownership stake in Waystar Royco. And Kendall is a recovering drug addict, and he's clearly on his oh, way to relapsing. Yeah. He's, he's on he's his on way to relapsing right in now. this episode. And By the way, the funniest part of it, and I, I don't know if this is like you're allowed to talk about drugs. <laughs> I feel like we're putting the explicit thing on, so I'm sure we can. Yeah, we always but, are. Yeah. <laughs> but at the club where Kendall kept like doing lines and he said to Greg, you have to stop me. My dad had you here to kind of keep an eye on me. So Greg just does like Oh my God. That. And yeah. then Tom was like, oh my God, you're going to die. It was terrible. I felt That's so bad for another poor Greg. Thing. Greg was like, well, can I just throw it up? And he's like, no, you can't throw up your whole bloodstream. Your bloodstream. I know. Poor I will Greg. say that. I felt so bad for Greg in that moment. He's Maybe just, like, I'm totally to, like, naive, but I feel like rumors of drug use on Wall Street are always greatly exaggerated. I feel like I there's like, that's the whole thing. That's what I'm I saying. Never saw it, in yeah. in all of my years of client entertainment, I never once saw it. I do think if you're not looking for it, it won't yeah. find you. You know, and if you're looking for it, you can find it. But I think it's like that in any industry. I think it's over-exaggerated how much drug use there is um, in the financial services industry. I never once saw it. But then again, there were a lot of people who were bright and chipper at 530 in the morning after big nights out. And I was not one of them. So like whatever they were doing. But um, back to our friends. So Stewie offers Kendall $500 million for his ownership share in Waystar Royco and says, basically, you can go bury yourself in a mountain of cocaine. Just forget about the business. Forget about your family. Cash out and go have fun. And Kendall's like, no, why would I ever do that? And Stewie reveals that Logan's arch enemy, Sandy Furness, has been the secret backer of this private equity investment the whole time. So another arrival of Logan's, of the business owner, is secretly buying ownership of Waystar Royco from the inside out. And so we talked about this a little bit, like, is this something that could feasibly happen? We both agree that it is. It would be rare. This is adding to drama that I think people watching the show might miss. Yeah. Well, How I, incredibly rare it would be for a private equity firm to like... 
make a $4 billion investment on someone else's behalf. Well, I think that actually brings up a good point. So in general, there's the co-investing where a private equity firm will go in, they will do an acquisition where they're putting in some of their money and then they go to their LP and they say, hey, do you want to LP do this investment? For- Limited partners, sorry. Mm-hmm. So like those, those sovereign wealth funds, the endowments, and they'll say pension funds, right? Do you want to do this investment with us? And so they could do it together. You definitely could have a situation where they would create, usually it wouldn't be called like a shell company, really. It would probably they say have like it was a, special, a shell company. Yeah, yeah. Which that a was special weird. purpose vehicle. A special purpose vehicle. Or a SPV. SPV. But like remember SPACs, so special purpose yes. acquisition companies were basically just yep. like pools of cash that were made to invest in things when rates yeah. were at zero. Yeah, that that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. So- it's funny because watching this episode, I was like, Okay, and so what? Because I didn't really understand what was happening. But now understanding what was happening, I was like, oh my God, this is such a big deal. Because basically, this yeah. is the Trojan horse. Yeah. And now Sandy Furness has snuck in ownership mm-hmm. of Waystar Royco. So yeah. when when Sandy agrees to make this $4 billion investment, what is he actually buying? He's so buying he's buying control of the company. He's buying control. And we find right. out. So in the first few seasons, we're not sure how much he's buying. I mean, there's a number of articles online where they get into what they think the valuation of Waystar Royco was. You found was, that great FT saying, article that will There's link a really the, good, the yeah, notes. we can link yeah. that. And in the first season, it's probably around $80 billion before the share price plummets. But long story short, so we're not sure how much he bought. It sounds like in the last episode, you can sort of do some reverse engineering to figure out it's like probably 15%. Mm-hmm. And so that essentially made the kids, made the family, the Roy family, it took them from being the majority shareholder, like they probably had 51% ownership down to 36%. So mm-hmm. selling this $4 billion stake was a giant kind of fuck up. <laughs> and Kendall. Stewie got a seat on the board, right? And, so yep. now Stewie mm-hmm. has a huge voting interest in the in yeah. the firm as well and can make big yeah. discretionary decisions. Yeah. Um, I want to back up for one last second because back to like your traditional private equity firm, these are usually going to be more of your financial buyers, like someone who is trying to improve the business, sell it, make a profit, 20% IRR. And again, we have some videos if you want to go check out more explanation on all those. But that's what most private equity firms are doing. With that said, you can have buyers who are doing a leverage buyout strategy who aren't financial buyers. Like Elon Musk, when he bought Twitter, it was technically kind of a leverage buyout. He borrowed debt. Now, most of it, it was guaranteed by Elon Musk. And, this is the real world drama investors. that right, like right. The you real couldn't write if you tried to, right? <laughs> or, like, yeah, or live golf. I mean, you look at them, their investment in the PGA, they, they offered to pay $800 million to Tiger Woods, right? They're not doing that because they expect some financial return monetarily. That is for influence. So mm-hmm. anyway, there's this strategic reason versus financial reason. And your traditional private equity firm is going to be doing something for more of a financial reason. And that was why initially when we were watching this, I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But then you get into more of the drama. And you're like, oh, it right. does. Because Sandy Furness is like, oh, I-, I am the secret backer of this $4 billion. It's like getting funneled right. through the private equity firm. So Kendall, after initially turning down this offer, is horrified and then decides to betray his father and says, I want in. I want to join up with you, Stewie, and you, Sandy. So they say, okay, great. We are going to now make basically a hostile acquisition of Waystar Royco. And you and guys are probably- hostile LBO. Yeah. yeah and they're saying they're going to do it. I was going to say, you guys have probably heard the term hostile acquisition before. Mm-hmm. A hostile LBO is- much rarer. I think, Kristen, this is something you can speak to, why this would be such a big deal and such a kind of crazy thing. 
Well, hostile LBOs used to be like all the rage. I think it was back in like the 80s or the 90s. You hear like the corporate raiders and stuff. Nowadays, they're just a lot less common. And I mean, it's for a number of reasons. But first of all, we've talked about how you have financial buyers and strategic buyers. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? When you have a strategic buyer going in and doing an acquisition, they're like, well, I could own this company forever. So they don't necessarily care as much about the price. The financial buyers or like an LBO in general, when you're talking valuation, the leverage buyout or LBO is sometimes referred to as the floor valuation. So meaning the lowest possible price. So basically what you're saying is it's kind of like, again, we keep talking about houses, but if you are buying a house that you want to live in, if you spend five Mm -hmm. or $10,000 more than you wanted to, you're living in the house for the next 15, 30 years. You don't care. Whereas if you're a real estate investor who's simply trying to eke out a yield on this by turning into a rental property, you're trying to get between the wall and the wallpaper and you are not paying one more dime than you think it's worth. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. The difference in, in willingness to pay a price. Exactly. There's a different motivation between a buyer who's doing a financial deal versus a strategic one. Now, Mm -hmm. we've already established that this was not done for financial reasons, most likely. This is Logan's enemy trying to take him down. And so, yeah, in this case, I would say it is possible because it's just now they need to convince not even a full 50% of the shareholders, but less because they already have combined like 15 plus. They have this control. 2.5. Yeah, they have a decent amount of ownership already. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities in this particular situation, but it is not common to see these days. Right. So if you're just watching this and you don't understand all of this, you're probably like, okay, they just said a bunch of stuff and now Kendall's turned bad and he's against his dad. But hopefully you guys understand. And yeah. And as a reminder, the leverage buyout, it means bear buying the business and it is mostly funded with debt. Sandy also says something about it's going to be a dual stock situation. So can you explain what that means? I mean, I am guessing it's just when you have equity, you could have just like one class of shares. Everyone has the same vote percent, right? Everyone has the same economics. Then you can also have multiple class of shares. So you have, say, like class A and class B. Now, Mm -hmm. in some cases, class A and class B could trade at different prices. They both could be publicly traded. Mm -hmm. In other cases, you have one share of, and this is maybe more common, like what you might have here, where it's like you have one class of stock that is publicly traded and there is maybe some voting rights attached, but then you might have like a super voting class of of shares. So Mm -hmm. maybe there's like 10, you get 10x the voting as you would for the common shares that are trading in the market. And a lot of times like you could convert these like super voting shares into common for some conversion. Often it's one to one, but it could be different. And so that's when we say there's like dual classes of shares because you have the regular person who's buying and selling these shares and then you have the super voting shares. So I think that's what they mean with the dual classes just you have these two different classes of shares and they're probably going to like have to get the people on board who are like super voting. I mean, that's my guess. Yeah. I was just curious if we had any insight as to what that meant, but basically what Kendall is trying to accomplish here is resting control of the company away from his father. So back to that same back and forth that we've been going through from the beginning, he wants to be CEO and he wants to basically consolidate the business down to its like core competencies. He wants to get rid of, they have like an amusement park division. They have a cruise division, which ends up being kind of instrumental in, in some of the drama later down. With, but, Tom. Um, with, yeah, Tom. with Tom. Yeah, yeah exactly. And Shiv. Um, yeah. 
And and so finally what they do is they put together a proposal to buy Waystar for $140 a share. So right? I think it's an important thing to note that like just because the share price is this, that doesn't mean that's what the whole company is worth. Right. So the fact that Voltar was trading at $130 per share doesn't mean that these companies are equal. They're right. Just, it could be $130 per share and there's 100 shares outstanding. It, yes. Or it could be $130 a share and there's 10,000 shares yeah. outstanding. It's yeah. just a unit of measurement. It's like dollars per square foot. You could have two homes that are trading at $250 a square foot, but guess what? If one's 10,000 square feet, yeah. the other one is 1,000 square feet, they're going to be very different overall prices on the homes. Right. So in order to actually launch this bid for the company, what they have to do is they have to like formally submit this bid, yes, right? Yes, so yes. what does that look like? In a normal yes. circumstance, they're going to present to management and say, hey, listen, here's what we're willing to offer for your company. Would you consider yeah. this? They go back and forth, they negotiate. But remember, we know that management does not want to be bought. Right. So what are they going to do in order to now try to- Or they definitely don't want to be bought by Sandy Furness. Right, 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 right. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so they talk about putting together this bear hug. A bear hug is- an unsolicited takeover bid, which is like so generous that the shareholder, the shareholders of the company are sort of unlikely to refuse. And so in the case where this bear hug letter has been offered and they're saying, we're going to the shareholders, we're going around management, we're going to make you an offer that you guys can't refuse as the shareholders. Now we've got a battle between management and the shareholders for control of the direction of the company. And so in, I think it was like episode nine of 10 episodes of season one, they're at Shiv and Tom's wedding Often, I don't know, was it Italy? Like, where is this England. wedding? England. They're, they're in England now. Okay. Uh, so they're in England. And at the beginning of the episodes, Kendall is talking to Stewie about this bear hug, which he's thinking we're going to do it when we're back from the wedding. Like, it's all good. But... Stewie then, towards the end of that episode, says, no, we're, we're doing it today while your dad is here at the wedding. And Kendall is like, no, like, we can't do that. And Stewie's like, well, you've already told Frank. And so we're worried this is going to leak. Had that already would be got a problem. Started to get out. Yeah. So they had to go forward with it. And so they are frantically trying to, like, print out this letter. Of course, goes to the wrong printer. And now they have to hand Logan the letter saying, we're going to buy your business. Like we're offering to buy your business. And this is, I think where he's like in the bathroom, Kendall walks in, Logan's in the bathroom and right. Logan, well, Kendall starts yeah. to have second thoughts about betraying his dad because yeah. he sees him in this vulnerable moment where he's like mm-hmm. in his undershirt and his boxers. And he sees yeah. him as kind of this frail old man for a second, loses his nerve. But then yeah. at the end of the day, gears yeah. up to betray his dad, hands him the letter. His yeah. dad throws it in the toilet yeah. promptly yeah. in a show of bluster. Yeah. And then as the second Kendall leaves the room, he's like fishing it out of the toilet and like, being freaking like, okay, out. what do we do? Yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, Kendall and Stewie were going back and forth about who was going to deliver the letter. And so Stewie again made Kendall deliver it. But he said to him, Stewie's like, well, tell me when you did it. And Kendall said, well, you don't think I can? And Stewie goes, well, only 15% of men shoot an undefending enemy soldier. Kendall's like, well, he's shot first. So, yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it's just a testament, A, to how insane this family is that they're doing this at a wedding. Mm-hmm. B, the fact that, you know, a son would do this to his dad who has built this company mm-hmm. over his life, right? And now we've got Logan who needs to respond to this right. bear hug. Right. So the first idea that he throws out is something called a poison pill. Mm-hmm. And 
it's funny because when I heard that originally, not knowing what a poison pill was, I was like, what do you do? Do you just like tank the company so they don't mm-hmm. want it anymore? Like I actually didn't know what that was. And you had yeah. to explain it to me, Kristen. Well, actually, I'm going to back up because it's funny. The way that Kendall maps out what he expects to happen is kind of similar to what actually does happen. And so I, I, I wrote this down because it was it summed up exactly what they expect to happen. So he says, we deliver the letter. Logan calls an emergency board. We go public and the world blows up because he's now at the wedding and it's like shit. He goes, the arm dive in. So what is an ARB? I actually just wanted to explain that. Mm. So an ARB is his shorthand for a merger arbitrage hedge fund. And so one type of hedge fund strategy is merger ARB or merger arbitrage. And what these funds do is they're essentially making bets on whether or not a deal is going to go through. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, well, let's use way Steroico. So here you have $140 per share offer, the share price of Waystar Royco is going to start to go up. It's going to get closer to 140, but it's not Once necessarily going to get there. Out, that they Once word gets out. Yes. But it's not going to go to 140. And so mm-hmm. the merger ARB funds are going to start making bets of like, is this going to go through? Because if it does, if they buy for call it 130, because the share price maybe went from 120 to 130, well, now they're going to make 10 bucks. So that's what they mean by like the ARBs are diving in because Conversely, they are- if they don't think it's going to happen, you could short the yes, stock from exactly. whatever price it has yep. risen to. Yeah. So, um, any Anyway, it was like a throwaway line. But when he said that, I was like, oh, it's financy. Um, So he goes, Logan's going to tell the world some fairy tale. He's going to talk poison pill, which he did. He says, and other defenses, again, to defend off this hostile deal that they don't want. He goes, the board says, hang on. We don't want to get sued. Dad says, fuck the shareholders. He calls the analysts. He calls the hedge fund. He tries to find a white knight. Now, white knight, what does that mean? So Mm. we said before that Logan doesn't want to be sold to Sandy Furness. Is he open to being sold? Maybe, but not to them. Right. And so a white knight is when, call it Waysar Royco, Logan, they go out and they try to find another buyer, a buyer mm. that is more palatable to them. So that's what they mean by that white knight. It is a, a different company that they would actually be open to. That tries to find a white knight. I love calls that. Us, yeah. Calls us, tells us to fuck off the price rockets because everyone knows we're going to win. And then um, Stewie says, well, do you think there's a chance he'll just do the deal? And he <laughs> says, have you met my dad? Nope. He'll never retreat. It will be hostile, hostile, hostile. And so I loved that because it was exactly what does happen for the most part. Right. The ultimate defense that Logan pursues isn't exactly, I mean, he does throw out the poison pill, but he actually ultimately does something a little bit different. So let's get into what the poison pill is that they yes. don't employ yes. because most yeah. people probably haven't heard yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah, it's just a defense strategy that can be used by directors of a public company to prevent like an activist investor or competitors or whoever, potential like would-be acquirers from taking control of the company. A poison to- pill sounds like you torpedo the company so no one would buy it. What they do is they distribute these additional free or like heavily discounted shares to existing shareholders with the goal being that they're going to dilute the shares so that it makes it really hard or I guess maybe even like just too costly for an outside acquirer to buy enough control for the deal to go through. And instead of pursuing that strategy, what Logan ends up deciding to do is to become too big for Sandy and Stewie to buy. So he pursues a strategy instead of going out and trying to buy a competitor. Mm -hmm. And that competitor is Pierce Global News. And basically, if Waystar Royco is supposed to be, you know, Fox, Fox, yeah, (laughs) we're thinking about them buying something like the New York Times or MSNBC or something like that. That more progressive is a is a competitor, but yeah, with maybe a different set of values and a different strategy. So that's the strategy that kind of leads us into season two. And as they debate 
whether or not that acquisition is going to happen. They engage in something called a proxy battle, which is basically just another, just think of it as another term for management trying to wrest control or management who believes in this merger going through, trying to wrest control away from the subset of management. Because remember, Stewie has like a board seat now. They have some control of the company, wrest control from the people who want the hostile LBO to go through. Right. Um, So I think that that wraps it up for today. And I think Mm -hmm. we've covered hopefully a lot of the key highlights from the corporate finance side of the first season. Hopefully you guys learned something today. Again, I got so much more out of rewatching Succession, having a a more thorough understanding of the corporate finance elements, because if you don't understand how crazy some of these deal elements are, then you're like, "Uh, okay, I guess this just happens all the time. I mean, back to what we said in the beginning, is this Grey's Anatomy where there's some crazy thing going on? Like, no, like this is all legit. But by the way, a lot of the stuff that they're doing are really sketchy and Mm -hmm. it's not what you would expect to be done in the normal course of doing business. You're You're probably not going to see this in your summer internship. Or let's hope not. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You do let us know. I know. Tell the SEC first then let us know. (laughs) But no, like that's what I think makes it crazy is even knowing about some of the stuff, like I didn't sit down and think that hard. I was like watching the drama. I'm trying to figure out like who are the characters. I'm probably on my phone replying to a text message. Uh-huh. Um, so watching it again, also understanding the characters and knowing yeah. where it's headed. Yes. It is such a different experience. It's such a cool experience. And if nothing else, I do hope if you are one of the 10% of the people who participated in our Instagram poll, I do hope you watch that this is just such amazing television. And if you really want to learn about finance, I mean, there is so much cool stuff that is in it. And it's just such a good Such a good show. So So. next week, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. And we We actually are going to do our first video episode. I know we've been talking about it forever. (laughs) But um, we are interviewing an incredibly special person. And we're going to want to share that with you on video. And hopefully our format will be video going forward. We're still working out some kinks Mm -hmm. and uh, trying to figure things out. Like our video not processing or our our whole episode not processing. It still says processing. What's so crazy is that you and I managed to record an hour podcast and then record it again. And we're like still going to keep, we're probably going to hop on the phone after this and like chat. Oh, 100%. Bananas how much we end up talking. But we're so (laughs) grateful for you guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Keep sending us your questions at questions at wallstreetskinny.com. That goes to us, by the way. It doesn't go to some like robot somewhere. We're just trying to keep track of all your questions. Yes. And yes. we're so grateful we get, for you guys. Yes, but no, we love your questions. Keep them coming. But it is easiest for us if you do it to questions at Wall Street Skinny. And thank you guys so much. We're so grateful for you. And I will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Wall Street Skinny. We are more than just a podcast. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at The Wall Street Skinny. If you're a visual learner, we have content that will help get you up the curve from valuation to Excel to Bond Fundamentals 101. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we will be publishing in-depth tutorials on all this and more. 